submit is the title of my message today. Three reasons why we must submit. So let's pray, uh, open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, and let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Lord, you do know how desperate we are for you, Jesus. We need you, we long for you, and we know that we are not capable of submitting in the way that we are called to submit apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, God. And so we ask that you would come. We know you're here with us now, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears to receive the, the message that you have for each of us today, Lord, whether we're married or single or older or younger, it doesn't matter. There is a message for each of us today in your word. It is living. It is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And we pray today that it would pierce deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, marriage, I can tell you because I've been married for 26 years, is the hardest thing that you will ever do, but it is the most blessed thing that you will ever do. I mean, think about it. Take two people from different backgrounds, maybe, uh, different people, and put them in a confined space for years and years. And there will be some differences, right? I mean, you will just get on each other's nerves. What you used to think was really cute begins to annoy you. Am I right? Okay. I'm sorry. Is there anybody here that's newly married? One, two, three. Okay. Okay. This just happens. So it just happens. And that's normal. That is totally normal because we're human beings. And it could be another person that you live with that begins to annoy you. But it just so happens that the person that lives with us, that annoys us, we are called as women to submit to that, to yield to that, to prefer that person over ourselves. Well, marriage is something that we have to work at. Success in marriage is not a guarantee. It is not guaranteed. It is not automatic. When you say, I do, you just don't, it just doesn't, poof, happen. It's work, amen? Is it not work? It is work, but it is work that is worth the work. It is worth it. It's like working out and seeing results. When you really work at your marriage, you see results. And the best way that we can work at our marriage is by being in the word of God, by working at our relationship with Jesus Christ, because it's this mystery that happens. It's this beautiful thing that happens. As this goes through here and goes in here, it goes down here, and it takes root deeply in our heart, and then it goes up here, and then it comes out here. So somehow, when we're in the Word of God, and we ingest the Word of God, when we read it, when we hear it, when we apply it, when we obey it, it becomes part of us, it's in us, and then it somehow begins to work through us. We become more patient. We become more gentle. We become, what we're going to look at today, those women who have a quiet and a gentle spirit that is pleasing or precious in the sight 
of the Lord. What a blessing. That was a prayer of mine. When I first got saved, I was anything but quiet and gentle. I was loud and obnoxious, and I did not have a pretty mouth, and nothing about it was pretty. But my great God took this word, and it went inside here, and it changed my words, and it changed my heart, and it changed my mind, and it changed my actions. And many of you have that same story. And you can attest, I see you nodding your head, you know the power of the word of God. It has this supernatural ability to change hearts and lives and actions and attitudes. It just does. It's such a blessing. So that is the only way. We cannot change ourselves. Amen? We cannot change anyone else. Amen? And we certainly cannot change our husbands, although which of us have tried? Okay, thank you. I was like, I'm not hanging out here alone, right? Okay, so yes, we have tried to do that, and we cannot do that. But when one person in the marriage is not born again, it makes matters that much more difficult. Marriage is one of the most important relationships to humankind. In fact, it is so important that God chose to use marriage as the example of how he loves his church. Ephesians 5:22 tells us wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. God ordained a permanent union between his son and the church. A godly marriage is that earthly mirror of God's divine plan. As God willed for Jesus and the church to become one in body, he wills that we do the same thing in our marriage, becoming one, having that same pattern that he has set in heaven. As God planned uh, and created man and his own image, he made the earthly marriage in his own image as well. And just as Jesus had to submit to the Father's will, So the wife is to submit to the husband. Do you see the pattern here? But, but we live in a day and age where the word submit has gotten a bad rap. Some have even taken it out of their wedding vows because they don't even like to hear the word. We are so rebellious of a people that we have taken it out of the vows. In a day in which the feminist movement is making the 60s look like child play, we as Christian women must open our eyes and pay close attention to the word of God. You know, on the heels of this last week's election, what is being called as a historic election where women and LGBT candidates made history this past week. With women winning over 100 seats in the House. 
Amazing, isn't it? Kansas has their first ever Native American woman elected to Congress. Minnesota, first ever Muslim woman who was a a refugee, I might add. Colorado has first elected openly gay, gay, excuse me, congressman, while Oregon has its um, openly bisexual governor. And Tennessee and Arizona both uh, will become the first female senators to represent that state. Texas elected its first Hispanic woman to conference, and South Dakota elected its first woman governor. Lots of firsts happening this past week. And most women would applaud it. Don't get me wrong. I voted for several women on the ballot, and you may have as well. I am not against women, you know, running for Congress or governor or councilwoman or man or however you say that, for city council or whatever. I'm not against that. But what I am against as women neglecting their divine role that God ordained for women. That is what I'm against. And then making it look like those of us who have not neglected it are, like, inferior for some reason. That we feel the importance of being in our home, of obeying the commands of God, of raising our children, of staying home, to make us look like that is inferior, that's what upsets me. So I can't help but wonder what's to come. Is this part of the scaffolding scaffolding being built for the Antichrist to come into power, for Jesus to come and take the church? I think so. Because we know with all the women in charge, what does the rest of the world look at the United States and see? Weakness, right? And that's not a bad thing. I love that I can't lift what my husband can lift. Amen? I mean, I love that I am weaker than him emotionally, that I cry more easily than he does. That is nothing to look down on. That is something to applaud because God created us that way, that we are the weaker vessel. And that's something to celebrate. Yes, I love that I cannot do everything. I tell my my husband all the time, you have job security, honey. That trash needs to go out. (laughs) Or whatever. I can't lift this. Or I can't make that decision. Or I don't seek God like you do. Or I am so glad I don't have to stand before God and give an account of what I did with my family. You have to do that. Wow. With fear and intrepidation. I am glad I am a female. But I would never try to step into my husband's role. Many women are stepping out of their God-given role, found in Genesis 3.16, where God himself clearly states this. To the women I say, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and here it is, he will rule over you. I didn't say that. God said that. So if you have a problem with that, you take it up with him, not me or anyone else. 
The role of the wife is to be a helper to her husband. Genesis 2.18 says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Our job, our divine design as women, as the weaker vessel, is two things. This is as a wife. This isn't as a Christian. But as a wife, we are to help our husband and we are to have babies. It says it right there in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. That is why we were created. And I love that I can have a baby. I feel like it's something that my husband misses out on. You know, he, he's like, oh, you take the pain. I'll, you know, I'll take the baby. But it's so amazing to be able to carry a child, to birth a child, to nurse a child. To, it's such a blessing. And we are blessed to be women, to be able to have this amazing divine plan of God. But we cannot step outside that divine plan. The role of the wife is to be a helper to her husband. But many women have become discontent with that role, that God-given role. Therefore, we see a breakdown in the marriage. We see a role reversal. How many of you have noticed this? My husband pointed this out to me, and I have noticed it since he pointed it out to me. Um, a lot of commercials are showing that men are home with the babies and the wife, if they even show a wife, whoever, the partner, wife, whatever, is out working. It's the man in the home. You see for, I don't remember what Tide or what laundry detergent, who's holding the baby and doing the laundry? The man? Wow. I mean, my husband pointed out, I was like, whoa, you're right. That is crazy. Look for it now and now you'll see it everywhere. There is a reversal of the roles of what we are supposed to do, and our role is being taken from us. And it's not just the women who are pushing for it. Men are pushing women to the forefront as well. I believe it's all a plan of the enemy because he's going to take the United States down, and I think he'll use that. Let me pose a question to you. Who did he go after in the garden? Right? Eve. Not Adam. He went after Eve. Why? Because he knew he could get to him through her. We women have a great influence upon men. Right? We can pretty much get a man to do whatever we want. Right? So I pose this question, just for food for thought. Think about that. What is happening, ladies? This Me Too campaign has just got totally out of control and has really, what I read in one article, was the spearhead to many of these women running for office. Interesting. So what can we do? We can obey the verses set before us today. In this section of scripture that we'll look at today, and we'll see how far we get, but I have a feeling we're not going to get very far, and that's entirely up to the Lord, but Peter addresses Christian wives who specifically have unsaved husbands, but this message is for all of us, whether we're married or single, 
um, whether we're widowed, divorced, whatever. It just covers the, um, the spectrum today. So Peter begins in these first six verses by addressing the wife. And I don't even think we're going to get to the husband. Uh, but we're, this is us. We're the wives, so let's just go for us here. You know, let's point the finger back at us. Let's look at verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Let's stop there for a moment. So the term likewise or in like manner refers back to chapter 2, verses 21 through 25, where Peter gave the example of Jesus saying this. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, loving us, excuse me, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to his him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness by those whose stripes we were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Just as Jesus submitted in obedience to the will of God, so... We, as Christian wives, should submit to his example because, here's the first of our three reasons why we must submit, because it is our obligation. The first reason why we must submit is because it is our obligation. Twice in this section, Peter reminds Christian women that they are to be submissive, verse 1 and verse 5. Submission should not be a scary word. It should not be a word that we avoid. Just like we submit to authorities, police officers, or anyone else, we can use that word um, fine when we're speaking of that. Why, when we bring it into our own home, does somehow it uh, you know, gets under our skin for some particular reason? Same word, same meaning, different person. It should not be a word that we are afraid to um, use or uh, submit to underneath that authority, nor should it be something that we avoid or laugh at or make fun of. We should not. It's a command of God, and we should heed and obey this command just like any other found in the scriptures. So submission means to place under rank. That's probably the most popular definition. I like yield. In my mind, yield works really well. Because I think of a yield sign, and I'm going to talk about this in a moment. But when you yield and you give the right away, yield means to give the right away. And so basically when I'm yielding, when I'm submitting to authority, I'm giving them the right away. I'm yielding to that because that makes me feel that it's courteous and polite. Doesn't yield sound nice and polite? It does, right? Let's go with yield. But the term placed under rain is God's order. It's, it's God is a God of order. And he has order for everything. For the church, for the government, and for the home. He has order. He is a God of order. He has ordained a head of the government. A head of the church, the pastor. And a head of the home. What happens when you don't have a leader? 
When you're in a group of people and no one's leading, what happens? Like, you know, should we go this way? Should we go that way? You, you know, it's just like there's chaos and confusion. We need order. So we need leadership. We need a head. Every organization, every group of people needs somebody to lead. So he can lead or you can lead. I would suggest you would let, let him lead because that is the God-ordained role. In the Greek, the word submit is um, hupoteos, which means to subject oneself to be subservient. This is my favorite one. To submit voluntarily, which seems to include the idea of to obey. The key here is voluntary submission. Peter isn't demanding obedience, though obedience is involved with submission. He's asking for an attitude toward your husband of voluntary submission, whether or not he's a Christian. It is an attitude, and it's an attitude of our heart, really. That's where it stems. Subjection or submission doesn't mean that the wife is inferior in any way to her husband. In fact, 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter tells us, he makes it very clear that the husband and wife are heirs together, meaning we're co-heirs, meaning we're partners is what it means. Husband and wife are both made by God, both designed in the image of God, and both called to submit to God. Our husband submits to God, and we submit to God by submitting to our husband. That's the order. There is nothing degrading about submitting or accepting God's order. If anything, it is steps towards fulfillment in our marriage and in our walk with the Lord. After John and I were married, I struggled with this uh, until I understood Genesis 2.18. It was understanding that I was created by God to help my husband. And in helping him, I submit to him that I please the Lord. When I realized that it was my God-given role as a wife to submit to my husband, whether he's right or wrong, that is not up to me. That is up to the Lord. I began to see the importance of submitting to Christ through my husband. And it's very interesting. When we look at it like that, It is helpful in staying in our God-given role. If we look at submission when it's difficult as submitting to God, then it becomes somehow easier, more able to stomach or more palatable, whether your husband is a believer or a non-believer. You see, we are called to be partners with our husband, not competitors with him. Submitting helps us to build unity in the marriage. It's not my way or his way, it's God's way, and that's how we make it there. 
I like to think, as I said, of yielding, submission as yielding. And as yielding, what I picture in my head, and you may picture something different. You may picture an on-ramp to a freeway, but I picture a roundabout. <laughs> I, do, I do a roundabout twice a day getting my daughter from school. I go on a roundabout getting off right over here. And so I'm doing this roundabout, and it dawned on me that when I get off the freeway and there's this roundabout, I have a choice to let the car that's already coming around go in front of me, and that's polite, isn't it? What if I jumped in in front of that car? It could be devastating. I could cause an accident. Uh, Who knows what could happen? But it's just not polite because there's a sign right there that tells me, yield, right? So think of submitting as yielding in a roundabout. So God is the sign. The word of God told us what to do. We have a choice to obey that or not. And your husband is the oncoming traffic. You have (laughs) good, you know, not bad traffic, the oncoming car, let's say, because traffic's not normally good. So uh, we have a choice to, to politely let him go in front of us, like the sign tells us to do. That's what it's, we're commanded by law. So our suggestion is to yield. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Ooh, we can hop in there and get in front. And which of us, don't raise your hands, have ever done that? I have. I have not yielded before. I have jumped in front and caused accidents in my marriage. I have done that before. We want to have that visual. So the next time you're challenged, remember the yield sign. Remember the roundabout. And let your husband have the right of way. We must remember, ladies, that submission is a voluntary action. We can do it or we can leave it. We can take it or leave it. We can do it or not do it. But it really is a matter of the heart. When we do not yield, when we do not submit, whether it's to our husband or anybody else that we're called to submit to, it reveals what's in our heart, and that's not pretty. Ephesians 5, uh, 25 through 27 reminds us, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And verse 26 says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. Of course, this is speaking of Christ presenting the church this way, but in the same likeness, our husbands are called and have to do these things. And I would write this scripture down if I were you because you might want to remind yourself when you think you want to wear the pants in the family that then if you do that, this becomes your responsibility. Which of us wants to take responsibility for our families that we need to stand before the Lord and give an account of how we washed them, how we set them apart and sanctified them, how we cleansed them, how we presented them, what we did with Jesus in our home. That is the responsibility of our husband. And I'll stop here for a moment and address those ladies who are single and, um, and have children. That is a responsibility that now you have 
But God is your husband, and he can help you and equip you for anything that you stand in need of. God is there, and he is available, and he, um, he will help you in your time of need. He promises to do that. But this scripture before us in Ephesians 2, 25 through 27, excuse me, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, it means that the headship lays upon the man. And it is his responsibility to lead that home with kindness, with love, with discipleship, and and so much so that he is willing to die in order that his wife and family may live. A godly husband should not flaunt, though, his headship. He shouldn't act like a dictator in his home rather than a servant. Jesus set the example for us by girding himself with a towel and serving his disciples. That is the example that is set um, for servitude, and that is the example that our husband that our husband is to serve in the home. One commentator said this. It made me laugh, so I'll share. This is him, not me saying this, but he said, and it was a man who said it, the husband who plops himself in front of the TV and orders his wife around like a slave has abandoned Christ for Archie Bunker. Christ bound himself with a towel and washed his disciples' feet. If a man wants to be a Christian husband, he must copy Jesus, not Jabba the Hutt. (laughs) It made me laugh um, if you've seen any Star Wars movies, but... Uh, anyways, it made me laugh, and I thought, well, uh, yeah, I, I think that maybe some women, unfortunately, are in that situation. And I would say to you, if you're there, um, seek the Lord, and he is able to strengthen you and help you to persevere. And we're going to get to it in a moment, our next point, which is very important. You cannot submit, though, ladies, to a husband spiritually who is not born again. It is not possible because he doesn't know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Because some of you may be asking, that's great for somebody who has a Christian husband, but what about me, who my husband is not born again? How am I to submit to him? And I'm so blessed that these scriptures are in here for you and for us also. You're not called to submit to him spiritually, um, of course, unless he gets saved, uh, Nor are you to submit to him if he asks you to do something that is sinful or against the word of God. Because your submission to Christ then takes precedence over your submission to your husband in in this particular case. But submission to your non-Christian husband, Peter makes very clear that there is an opportunity for you ladies to win your husband to Christ which is our second reason why we submit to our husband. It is our obligation. But secondly, it is an opportunity to witness. We have an obligation to submit because we are commanded in the word of God, but we also have an obligation to, um, excuse me, an opportunity in our own home to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 1b. The second half of verse 1 says that even if some, speaking of your husbands, do not obey the word, they without a word, underline that, highlight that, star that, 
part that, circle that, whatever that, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. When an unbelieving husband sees the reality of his wife's faith as it's worked out through her life, it is a powerful testimony to him of the truth found in the word of God. For it's the behavior of the believing wife that must convince him not any of the words that she speaks. So the term, without a word, doesn't mean without the word of God. (laughs) You know that, right? It means with little talk, with not very many words. It doesn't mean you cannot speak. It just means don't say a lot. Be mindful of what you say. Because you can't talk your husband into the kingdom. You might be able to pray him in, but you can't talk him in. In fact, sometimes talking does more damage than good, right? It pushes them further and further away. Um, I think this is similar with kids, too. Sometimes our kids will, you know, maybe not be walking with the Lord, and we... They will say, stop nagging me or whatever. Um, You know, we can do that with children as well. Sometimes we can drive our kids further away from the Lord. Uh, The better thing we should do is pray for our children, is seek God and speak less. We must be less concerned with how, what we say and more concerned about what we pray. We should pray our Husbands and our kids into the kingdom. So the conduct, though. The conduct, we're told, should be chaste conduct. And chaste means to be pure, modest, decent, free from all taint of what is lewd. Chaste primarily um, implies a refraining from acts or even thoughts or desires that are not sanctioned in the marriage vows. This could be... um, Not flirting, not flirtatious, not giving men attention. As a married woman, um, if you are married and if you aren't, this is a good lesson for you. Be mindful of how you interact with married men, okay? Even with single men. So if you're not married, be mindful of how you interact with married men. And if you are married, be mindful of how you interact with all men. Uh, You won't ever see me praying for a man. Here at church. It's just, you know, I pray with women at church. I won't pray with another man at church. I'll get another man to pray with a man. Now, there have been times where I have prayed with a man. Let's say I'm out on the street and I'm witnessing, or I'm praying with somebody to receive Christ. I've done that before too, and it has been a man. But you need to be mindful of the situation, very discerning of your time. Um, how about hugging another man? Side hug. No front hugs, ladies. Uh, And this is just, you know, 101 here. This is, you know, Christianity 101. We should know as women not right not to do that. Because what a man um, feels and thinks can be very different from what a woman feels and thinks, you know. So we need to be mindful of these things. This is one thing when I first got saved that I didn't know and somebody had to tell me. So now I'm telling you, which I'm sure you already know. We have to be careful. Of this, we have to be chaste, 
Everything should be pure and modest and decent and free from any sort of taint at all. And then the next characteristic is fear, spoken of in verse 2. This is not meaning that you are to be afraid, but that you are to be respectful, that you are to be reverent, that you are to be in awe as you submit to God. As we submit to God in all areas of our lives, we bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. We receive love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and, yes, self-control. It is there on the end, but it's there. And it's because it take, you got to go through all the other ones to finally get there, right? They say that uh, love and self-control are bookends that hold all the other ones together, and I believe that to be true. It holds everything else in place. You must be willing to live out your Christianity before your husband and your kids, for that matter. They must observe your faith in action in the home. Not your words, but your faith. Observe. They must see your life. They must read you as they read the Bible. If your kids don't read the Bible, if your husband does not read the Bible, who can he read? You. Your life, because you are a reflection of Jesus Christ. To be won over in the Greek is kerdanio, which means to acquire by effort or investment. To acquire by effort or investment. To gain. Think of your godly behavior as an investment in your husband's salvation. I like that. I am investing in my husband's salvation, if he is not yet saved, by submitting to him, by having godly behavior, by being chaste, by fearing God. I'm investing in him by doing that. It's our character, ladies, and our conduct that Peter says will win him to Christ. Not arguments, not attitudes, not nagging, but it's our character and our conduct that will win our husband to Christ, that will win our kids to Christ as well in our home. But we must be careful not then to place this upon ourselves, that responsibility like getting my kids saved or getting my husband saved or getting a family member saved, that is my responsibility. It is not your responsibility. That responsibility is solely left to the Holy Spirit who can do a much better job than we can. Amen? It is not our job. And how many of us have tried? With our husband, our kids, anybody else, we've tried, right? Have you been successful? Anyone? No, we haven't. The Lord often lets us fail in this area that we might see our great need for him, that we might see how important it is for us to pray instead of speak, for us to live it instead of say it, for us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Submission is our obligation to God. It is our opportunity to be a witness. And then third and finally, it is an ornament to be worn. And I love this. I mean, which of us wears submission as an ornament, like a necklace or a bracelet or some nice jewelry, right? No, we kind of like would like to sweep it under the rug or something, like not wear it. But it can be an ornament that is worn. When we submit to our husband, we are like a beautiful ornament for him to wear. He wears our submission. So sweet, so beautiful. What a great picture. 
Peter says in verse 3, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. According to Peter, a Christian wife should strive for beauty. But that beauty is on the inside. It's inner beauty that we are to strive for. It's not anything external. It's inside. And I can tell you that if you are beautiful on the inside, it makes its way outside. You want to be beautiful? Be a woman who loves Jesus with all of her heart, soul, mind, strength. A woman who is in the word of God and it will make you so beautiful. You will shine for Jesus. You won't need highlighter. It's just him. (laughs) It's all Jesus. You have the Shekinah glory walking around. The word adorning um, here is a Greek word where we get, it's cosmos, where we get our English word, guess what? Cosmetics. Interesting, right? Peter warns the wife not to major on the external decoration, but major on the internal decoration, the internal beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit. Peter warns the wife not to major on the outside, major on the inside, minor on the outside. You see, the Roman women of the day were very zealous about the latest fashions. Uh, the latest hairstyle, they wanted to be up to date, nothing's changed uh, nowadays, Uh, but they majored on that, and it was a big competition amongst the women. Peter is saying, don't imitate that. Don't imitate the world. Instead, imitate godly women. Imitate the word of God. Imitate Jesus. That inward beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit that is so precious in his sight. When we are gentle, we are humble, right? Think of, think of it. Like when you're gentle, somebody that you feel that you know of that's very gentle. They're considerate, right? They're meek. And meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. So they are humble and considerate and, and meek. Uh, we are not to be pushy, which is the opposite of gentle. We are not to be manipulative. We are not to be selfish. Those things are the opposite of what we are called to be as women of God. To be quiet isn't referring of not speaking at all, but one whose words are well-ordered and without disturbance. I like that. Are your words well-ordered? <laughs> Sometimes, maybe. But we should seek to be women who have well-ordered words. Do you think before you speak? This is something I'm trying to teach my daughter. Think before you speak. Be of less words, not more words. We would be good, all of us, to take that and tuck it in our pocket and pull it back out later today. (laughs) When we'll need it, I'm sure. This is true beauty, beauty that does not fade, and it cannot be taken from you. Peter says that to God, this inner beauty of a quiet, well-ordered words, gentle, meek spirit, 
has great worth. It is a great price. It is very precious. You know, it's always sad for me to see an outwardly stunning woman that has no substance, no integrity, and no character. I mean, it just ruins it for me. You know, let's say you see um, an actress, and you're like, oh, she's so beautiful. And then you come across something where she uses profanity or, you know, just that ugliness out of the mouth. You're like, ooh, I don't like her anymore. She's not pretty any longer. Because what comes out of here stems from here, and it doesn't matter what you look like here. It's ugly. It's ugly. God looks at the inner person of the heart and highly values character. Do you spend more time developing your godly character or standing in front of the mirror? Challenging, right? I know our Bible study gave us a challenge like that too. How much time, just think about it for a second, how much time did it take you to get ready this morning? Don't say. 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour, two hours. Okay, I'm just throwing a couple out there. Do you spend at least that amount of time with the Lord every day? Let that be a challenge for you. I remember Greg Laurie, when I was young in the Lord, he challenged us in this way. When he used to teach Monday nights at Calvary Costa Mesa, he said, how much time do you spend in front of the mirror? Do you spend that much time with the Lord each day? That is a very thought-provoking, challenging question. Amen? Anyone? Are you with me? Yes. (laughs) It is. It is thought-provoking. We should at least spend that much time. So maybe you hurry and get ready because you don't have two hours with the Lord or something. (laughs) No, don't let that hang over you. But the whole idea is it should be food for thought. We should be challenged. We should be balanced. Actually, the time we spend with the Lord should tip the scales, really. We should spend more time with the Lord. When I got saved... um, this was something that I learned early on, and it was challenging for me. Um, you know, and when you get older, it takes more time. I'm just saying. Anybody discover that? Like, you just can't pop out of the shower anymore, girls. You know, you just can't. It just, it's, it just takes more. Like, you, like, are lifting, and, like, I don't know. We're just trying to work with what we've got, right? So it just takes a little bit more time. I told my husband, I have never taken this long. You know, skincare, I'm like so into skincare now. Never been before, but the older you get, right? Anyone? Yeah, okay. So you're like, oh, wow, that wrinkle wasn't there yesterday. So you're just trying to keep up what we got, you know, or keep going. Um, the point is more time with Jesus, right? More time with Jesus. A Christian woman who cultivates that inner beauty of the um, quiet and gentle spirit will not have to depend upon externals. You won't have to. You will walk around with the highlighter Shekinah glory, and you'll be good to go because it's here that makes its way out. For it's the inner person of the heart with a quiet and gentle spirit that is so precious and pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that we should neglect ourselves. I'm going to throw that out there as well. We should stay up. We should stay in style or whatever. Uh, It it means that the Word of God should be a priority. It doesn't mean you neglect and just throw it out the window and because you want to spend, you know, your three hours with the Lord today, so you neglect yourself. No, we need need to 
work with what we got here, but we need to make sure that we're balanced for sure. It's okay to wear jewelry. It's okay to wear nice clothes. Just don't wear too much of it. Be balanced in your approach. Peter closes this section pointing to Sarah as an example of a godly, submissive wife. We all need an example, don't we? Don't we need somebody with skin on just to say we do, right? Oh, I mean, Sarah's awesome and it's good she's in here, but sometimes we just want somebody that's real and tangible I can touch and feel and see, like, skin on, that can go, okay, that's an example. Some of us didn't have godly examples in our parents. Some of us didn't have um, parents that love the Lord or raise us in a Christian home. So we don't know. We're just learning. And you're in the right place because when we surround ourselves with godly women who love Jesus and love their husband and who are learning to put these things into practice and submitting, then it helps us to see. We have a pattern, a real-life pattern before us that we um, can use. I'm so blessed that the Lord gave me so many great godly examples. My mother-in-law is my hero. So um, she is probably one of um, the godliest women I know, and, um, and I love her dearly. But uh, our kids were very close in age. Uh, my, my sister-in-law was two when I was pregnant with our oldest son. So we basically had babies together, and it was so awesome for me to watch her raise her little ones while I raised my little ones. And I just watched her. Uh, I said what she said, even if it was in Swedish. I, sh- I did it, you know. And I just, okay, ishta, I'll say that too and see if that works. So, you know, it's just, um, I watch. But God can do that for us as well. He can put people in our lives that we can pattern, that can help us when we need help so desperately. So look for those ladies. Look for those ladies. But emulate your life. Your pattern is after Jesus Christ. Sarah is an example for us, but she wasn't perfect, and nobody is, right? But she was being perfected, and that's what we want to look at in Sarah. Yes, she loved the Lord. She feared God. She was a woman of faith. She faltered in her faith. She's in the hall of faith, so praise God. You know, aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't major on our boo-boos? In fact, he, you know, forgets them, and then he'll major on all of our strengths and not our weaknesses. So uh, we are being perfected. We're not perfect. We're in the process. So be patient with yourselves today. We'll close here with verse 6, and it says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Christian women today would probably embarrass their husbands if they walked around calling their husbands Lord. (laughs) We don't want to do that, nor are we required to do that. The idea here is that our attitude should be respectful towards our husbands. Do you respect your husband? Do you embarrass him in public by arguing him, by demeaning him, by pulling him down, by coarse jesting? I'm just going to throw that out there. Coarse jesting is something that we are commanded in the scripture not to do. That is saying, oh, I'm just joking. I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. Whenever somebody says, I'm just joking, I'm just kidding, there is a root in the heart. There is something there. So let's not be those women that throw something out there and then say, oh, I was just kidding about that. 
No coarse jesting. No coarse jesting. We are to seek to build people up, but especially in our home, our kids. Don't joke around like that. That may potentially um, hurt them. Or you would have to say, I'm just kidding. Don't go there. Or your husbands. Don't do that either. We should seek to build our husbands up in the, in the house where our children are watching out of the house as well where other people are watching. Look for opportunities where you can build him up in front of people. You know, talk about your husband. Brag about your husband. You're the only one who can really do it. You know, just how great he is. And, and just it's, we should look, even if it's difficult to find the good things, just really ask the Lord, reveal something to me that I can encourage him in or I can, can be excited about. Is there one thing, Lord, that you can show me? You know, sometimes it's hard. It may be difficult, right? I know it is sometimes. Um, so we need, to, we need to ask the Lord, seek the Lord, but that is your job. Seek to build him up, and as you build your husband up, you'll be respecting him. Do you let your husband lead? Do you allow him to lead? How about this? Do you allow him to make mistakes? That's the hard one. The difficulty arises oftentimes when we have a disagreement and our husband has a de- chooses this uh, decision and we don't agree. What do you do then? You submit and you trust that even though there may be repercussions that affect your entire family, that God will work in your husband's life and that your husband will learn. When do we learn the most? Anyone? When we make mistakes. Are you not going to let your husband learn? Because now that you're one, the mistake most often affects you as well. We need to let our husband make mistakes. We need to let our husband seek the Lord. I'm going to tell you a secret right now. Shh, don't tell anybody. Okay, so when you're in, this is for those who are single as well, when you're in a disagreement or an argument, say to your husband, I learned this probably five years late in our marriage, but I learned to say, all right, whatever you think the Lord's telling you to do. (laughs) Because then, what does it do? It places that responsibility, huge burden on them. You're like, all right, whatever the Lord tells you to do. I know you're seeking him. I know you're going to hear from him. So it's like that. And then you're set, right? Okay. So that's my little um, secret tool for you ladies. When you find yourself um, in a disagreement, you yield the roundabout. Remember the roundabout. If you remember anything today, remember the roundabout, you know. So just remember, yield, and use that little trick. It works every time. Also, it also works on your kids when they're old enough. It works on them too. Try it. So, we are not the Holy Spirit in our husband's life. We are not the Holy Spirit in our kids' life. We cannot change us. We cannot change them. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. You may be struggling today, and and this is a serious um, topic this, we laugh and we're like, ah, but really it's serious, right? Okay, so um, I just felt as I was typing out my notes that I wanted to take this to the last minute or two. And I would like, um, if you are struggling in this area of submission, I'd like you to stand to your feet. Anyone here? Anyone struggling with, with their husband in this area of submission? Okay, anyone else? <clears throat> 
Come on, come on, brave ladies. Okay, anyone? What I'd like you to do, who you are standing, I'd like you ladies to get around these women, and I want to pray for them. And yes, we are alive, but the Lord knows. God, we do love you and praise you. And Lord, we thank you for these ladies that have been brave enough to stand to say, Lord, I acknowledge that I need you and that I need help. And we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would help them in their divine role, God. That what you've created them for all of us, but especially these women who have stood to their feet acknowledging, Lord, I'm, I'm struggling. Lord, would you fill them afresh and anew today with the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you help them? Would you strengthen them? Would you enable them to um, step into their calling, submit as unto you, respect their husbands, yield when they are to yield, give the right away, Lord? Allow their husbands to make mistakes that they may learn just like we learn, God. We do pray that your Holy Spirit would speak, would move. And I pray that these ladies would leave here today changed, different women, God. Women who walk in their God-ordained role and do not seek to step outside of it, God. Would you help us? Would you give us the strength we need because we cannot do it without you? And we trust that you will rain down from heaven now power from on high. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, ladies.